are with Chronicles of Darkness, Creepy Rashomon Marine Buffet, Vampire, The Requiem, Second Edition, The Strix Chronicles, Episode Zero. I am Devin, the GM, and to my left we have... Nicole playing Leo Kelly. Kevin playing Kaiser Vargas. And Peter Fyodorov. All right, gang, so this episode isn't an actual episode. You've been punked. It is an episode zero where we talk about what vampires are and what the vampire characters are like. Ta-da! Yeah. This is what you wanted to listen to. This is what you people want. So, vampires are undead supernatural monsters. They get made when a vampire grabs another person, drains them, and turns them into a vampire. Yeah, pretty much interview with a vampire. Yeah, like, there's, uh, they're vampires. Yep. I don't, uh, I'm not quite sure what people need to know about vampires. They don't take a lot of damage from things. They're really durable. Like, you, it's really hard to hurt them. Um, they're really uncanny up close. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're big weirdos. The garlic crosses, all that's fucking fake. Except for some, for, for some vampires it's real, but for most part it's fake. Yeah, sunlight and fire are the big no-no words for vampires. They don't like those. Vampires don't have to kill people when they feed. Yep, vampires just drink, you know, a little bit of blood, and they're good to go. Also, when they bite people it feels really good, so they don't normally remember that it was a vampire. They normally just think they made out with someone. And then vampires just kind of slobber all over the neck holes with their tongue, and it seals it up. Yes. Because that's convenient. It's very convenient. It's very convenient. People just don't have bite holes in their neck. Yes. Um, So, Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition, the Strix Chronicles, is the 2nd edition of Vampire the Requiem, which is a different game from Vampire the Masquerade. Yes. And we're not going to go into the details of why it's different that much, because Jesus fucking Christ, there's a lot of differences. It's basically a reboot, and it's way, way lighter on the meta plot of the whole. There is no meta plot. Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition, the Strix Chronicles, is essentially its own game. Yep. They thematically change a bunch of stuff. They focus things a lot better on being vampires, and they they make a lot of the abilities kind of focus around the idea of the beast. When you're turned into a vampire, something inside of you goes wrong, or something inside of you is put into you called the beast, and it's this omega predator uh, compulsion that makes you want to feed and eat and kill and attack and fuck and stuff. Yep. It's like this um, compulsion that's like the monster part of your soul. And, you know, you got to deal with it. Keeping your blood uh, tank high makes it not be as much of a piece of shit to you. Yep. Making your blood go low means it gets upsy, fancy. Uh, vampires have a morality set called humanity, and it's how much they're disassociating away from their huma- human identity. <coughs> uh, so it's not about being a moral and good person. It's about you recognizing that you yourself are still a person and not giving into the idea that you're an alien eating monster. Yeah. The lower humanity is, the harder it is to get away from that, and the more the beast starts taking control and influencing you. Yeah. Sticking to human things, like being in human contact with people and interacting with them, not viewing them as any as something other than a... A commodity. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> you can lose uh, humanity by such things as surviving something that would hospitalize a person. Because yeah. Like, taking massive damage from a few shotgun rounds makes you, you know, risk losing humanity because that's something a person couldn't have done. Or even reading your own obituary. Yeah. 
Like, oh, you jog away from yourself. So a lot of things that weren't that great in uh, Requiem and were downright fucking terrible in Masquerade were fixed in Requiem yep. Second Edition, the Strix Chronicles. Yeah. Um, and yeah, vampires uh, come in five fun flavors called clans, which are basically sub-breeds of vampire that don't really affect much anymore. In Masquerade, your clan was basically your character class, yeah. and in Requiem 1E, your clan was still kind of your character class, but uh, they, they've limited the influence of the clan on the character to the point where it's more flavor now, which is nice. Mm -hmm. cool. So the five... It's not, it's not a society you belong to, it's just... Yeah, and it's no longer a crucial decision you have to make a character creation. It's not that important. Yeah. It doesn't flavor the entire character for the rest of its lifetime. It's just an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, basically what kind of affects is your bane once you get low enough humanity that you have your little twitch or whatever that you yeah. have to deal with. And uh, this is you start with, generally. Basically, and really, uh, because of how character creation works, you could branch outside of that very quickly and not have to even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not a shackling, or it's just a nice piece of flavoring. Yeah, it additionally gives you a bonus attribute point, which is... Oh, yeah. 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 So the vampire clans are broken up into different ways to interpret the uh, pop culture image of Dracula. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have the Deva, which are Dracula as a fuck machine noble. They're all about senses and seduction and feelings and loins and stuff. That's what the Deva are like. And their uh, main superpower is... Um, what the fuck is it called? Presence. No, Majesty. Majesty. No, not Majesty. Mm -hmm. And their clan power, because like all the clans have their own ability that's kind of unique to them, is Majesty, which is people just loving them like a pop idol. Yep. After that, you got the Gangrel, which are Dracula as a angry cannibal werewolf that lives in the woods and is going to eat you to death. Um, and they're, yeah, they're vampires as a beast man. Yep. Uh, their main shtick is Protean. They can shapeshift. Yep. That's their thing. Hmm. Uh, giant bats. The giant bats, dogs, rats, whatever. After that, I have the maquette, which is Dracula as um, a like sorceress shadow monster that like you know Creature can bewitch you and you know lives in like abandoned houses and like you see when you're out of the corner of your eye in the window watching you in a horror movie. Uh, their main trick is I think Ospreys. Prospects. They have magic sight, so they can see what isn't there and hidden things. They can all, see your secrets. Yeah, they're all about peering into stuff. Yep. After that, the Nosferatu, which are Dracula as the monster, or as Count Orlok from Nosferatu, as a pale, claw-hand, bat-faced dude that comes out of the sewer with rats coming out of his clothes, and it's going to break you in half over his knee. But, to be fair... Nosferatu do not need to look like monsters. No, they don't look like monsters anymore. That that that's something they've they've dead and buried. There's always something unsettling about them, is all. If only new. if their humanity goes down to trigger the clan bane. Hmm. Yeah, because otherwise, if you just put a brand cool. new Nosferatu next to a brand new Deva, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Well, also, that in the first edition, it was more common that yeah, they don't go down, they're, they're not the masquerade Nosferatu. In second edition, I think they decided to sort of come back to that with the clan bane. So it's like yeah. A little bit of setback compared to the first edition. Setback? What? So yeah, Nosferatu in this edition only have have social penalties basically once they go down their humanity and trigger their clan uh, bane. But it's not appearance. Like Nosferatu just look like people. But they're vampires as monsters, and their vampire power is called um, nightmare, and it's them being able to horrify people and things to death. 
Yes. They're really good at horrifying people. They can really unlock the monster, and that's where the old Masquerade Nosferatu comes from, because when they're using Nightmare, it's where it really punches up. Yes. And after that, we have Ventru, which are vampires as Lord Ruthven, vampires as Count Dracula, vampires as a blue blood noble with a snifter of, well, not wine in his hand, who, you know, orders his, who, whose servants look all pallid and pale, and who the nice new serving girl in the village disappears one night because she looks all supple and shit. That's what Ventru are. Yes. Uh, their main power dominate. is dominate, mind control, taking yep. you over. Yeah, that's it. Those are the five clans. Um, they're just flavor. You don't need to worry about them when you're making a character anymore, which yeah. is great. And then there are covenants. Yep. Covenants are the new thing that kind of replaced the Camarilla from Masquerade. Um, their shtick is instead of having one monolithic organization that kind of controlled everything, you have these five. You have these five interchangeable modular organizations yeah. that don't have any real canon to them. Yeah. They're different from city to city. Yeah, and basically when you have the interface of the clans and the covenant, you get a wider character variety than just Camarilla, Sabbath, and the clans that are basically glued to them. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so the idea is that every city is going to have these organizations in different flavors and different strengths, and they're going to have different structures. like. Yeah. Uh, there's what like there's one called the Invictus, and the Invictus in one city are going to be completely different from the Invictus in another city. Even if they're both in power, yep. they're they're not going to have a lot of cross pollination because organizations have a lot of drift in this game. It's much more sandboxy. You build your own kind of setup. Yeah. So let's so The first one is the Carthian movement. Yep, Carthian movement. What do you know about them? Well, they're basically uh, the most modern, the newest covenant. They're all about uh, trying different approaches to society. Rather than just uh, Invictus and their feudalism, they try a bunch of different things, whether it's democracy or fascism or whatever you want. They're about experimenting, figuring out what's the best approach to take, what's you know what can be learned here from the social aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think they're new and they're not well liked because vampires don't like change. Well, they are new. I think they started around the time the telegraphs were invented or something like that. It's fairly new from vampire point of view. Yeah. Well, um, well, they're basically like uh, the counterpoint to Invictus. Because you've got the, the both of them are the covenants that are focused <coughs> on politics and the social dynamics of things. Yeah, the ones usually like to be left alone. Yeah. Um, the Cartian's main shtick is the Cartian Law, where a bunch of Cartians get together and they decide how they can influence the city. And they can really, even if they're small in number, they can really change how the whole society works based on the Cartian laws. And yeah, they're basically empowering themselves against some entrenched older vampires in this way. Which is a really neat flavor that only came out in the second edition. The first edition was more bland and less. Yeah. They didn't really know what to do with them in that one. Yeah. So yeah, that's generally cardio movement. Okay. And then there's Circle of the Crone. Circle of the Crone ate up a lot of conceptual space from the Tremere clan and from... Uh, Zemisi? Yeah, yeah, the actually. A lot of that went into them. So the Circle of the Crone is... They're like Dark Evil Witch Cult, the organization. Yeah. They're basically uh, the first of the religious covenants. Their counterpart is Lancia Sacrum, the Christian one. So they're more of the pagan ritual, more of the personal power 
empowering yourself through the magic of Kruak and you know using that for you know influencing people and you know doing cool shit I guess. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're more of a primal sort of magic and yeah again totally like pagans to the Christians of Lanciat Sanctum. Yeah, and after them, we got the Invictus, which are most of the stronghold of the uh, the Camarilla from Masquerade. Like, it's it's a vampire society, the default. Well, yeah, they're the feudal lords there, basically what carried the civilization of vampires after the Rome fell and Camarilla fell. And, yeah, they're one of the oldest uh, covenants out there. They're all about the feudal order because they try to emulate humanity in that way because from order you can control your beast because you know what's coming, you know what to expect therefore you're not surprised by someone and you know yeah, you're more civilized that way therefore you can cope with your beast more and you, you've got the familiar things of belonging of having a structured society and you know, knowing where you exactly fit inside of the society so yeah, again, they're the Opposite of the cartel movement. Yeah, they're the one percenters. Yeah. Alright, that leaves us then with the Lankia Sanctum. Yeah. Lankia Sanctum is the another religious uh, covenant. It's the Old Testament Christianity where vampires are created by God to test the faithful and separate the faithful from the unworthy. You know, they are the monster goes bump in the night, they are the, you know, Old Testament damned beasts. There's no savior for them, they're going straight to hell after this. And yeah, that's the fun command there. They've got their Tevan sorcery, which is another way of empowering themselves to help, you know, boss the faith and help the faithful against the wickedness of the Circle of the Crown. Yeah, they're also pretty old, you know, they're dating themselves back to the set of humanity with the creator of the covenant being, you know, Longinus, basically. Yeah, that's another thing, because they're the, yeah, Longinus became a vampire because yeah. he, he stabbed Christ in the stomach. Yeah, and generally they're somewhat weakly aligned with the Invictus on the basic level because, hey, the church and the power structure reinforce themselves. So yeah, the, Lanky, the, the Invictus calls himself the first estate. The Lanky Satan calls himself the second estate. Yeah. So yeah, and most often they reinforce themselves, although you know, customize as you wish. Doesn't have to be that way everywhere. And the last one leaves the Order Dracul. Tell us about them. So yeah, the Order Dracul is about middle of the road. They came about around Dracula. That was the first. A person that actually started studying the vampirism, at least in depth. And yeah, Johnny Dracula went around on some mystical journey, decided to try all the covenants, and all of them left him uh, you know, wanting for something different. And he started to figure out okay, how do I remove the curse from myself and become you know a super being rather than being a weak vampire? And he started turning the vampire weaknesses against one another, and that's how he developed the cults of the dragon which are basically ways for vampires to shed their weaknesses and, you know, still keeping their powers. So you can start working around the sunlight or not be afraid of fire, control your beasts and other things like that. So yeah, they're generally uh, 
very research-focused, very mental vampires. They don't have a counter to any other Covenant. They're basically, you know, the true neutrals. They can go with anyone and, yeah, vampire scientists. They're pretty fun. Yeah. Their coils are pretty interesting. Yeah. All right, and that is the Covenants. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, power structures and vampire. Yeah. Uh, Johnny the Vampire game is all about the social interaction between vampires and the power struggles between them. I think that's stronger than in the other stats, that you will be interacting and status matters, your position in society, in your clan, in your covenant, all of them are separate. Which is really interesting. Yeah. So depending on who's really in charge of the city, the different factions will run in different ways. The one everyone's going to be familiar with are the Invictus, because they have a very standard structure um, that changes, uh, that doesn't really change that much. Like, the Invictus has, um, the city will have a prince, which is the one vampire that's in charge of everything. Uh, he'll then have vampires that represent the other factions in the city that, you know, basically meet with him and he'll take their uh, input or advice. Yeah, they're generally called the Primogen, they're yeah. usually the elders of the Covenants. Advise their prince, and yeah. Um, then you'll have stuff like harpies, which are people that are in Elysium and run the rumor mills. Yeah. Um, you'll have the seneschal, which is basically the guy that tells people what the prince said is happening and goes around and lets people know what the updates are on the city's politics. Yeah, the right hand man. Yeah, you'll have the sheriff, which is the guy that enforces the law. And uh, what's what's the one under sheriff? They're like um, uh, they're named after torture devices. Hounds. You have the hounds, which are they're like. You know, yeah, hounds. The hound dogs. You've got the whips, which are uh, for the primogen, basically. Like a Keep the party in line. Yeah. As we all learned from the British House of Cards. Yeah. Uh, you've got the priestcus as well, which are the clans, elders, most yeah. notable the, These vampires. are terms that don't show up in vanilla uh, Invictus, usually. They're, they're just stuff that's been around for a bit in the different books, and it's encouraged that you piece together your own terms. Yeah, generally, like, the second edition of Vampire the Requiem didn't go into that much details about the structure of the society that uh, played more loosey-goosey. There's really scarce reference. So it's almost the book things that you already know it from the first edition. And the first edition it was pretty much laid out, okay, here are the titles, here are the people, pick and choose however you want. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's generally the most important people in the society. The Prince, the Seneschal, the Herald, the Primogen, the Priestess, the Whip, the Harpy, Sheriff, and Hounds. Yeah, and there's ones for other clans, but, uh... You know, the Covenants? Other Covenants, but I, I don't know them, so I don't care. Yeah, most... Basically, Invictus is kind of like the Camarilla, where it's what most people are going to be playing. You know, you might have a city where it's like, oh, the Lankia Sanctus here, and everyone has yeah. their junk in iron traps you've or something. You've got the you know, Archbishop then, or you've got the Cotians for the city, and you've got the Senate, or what have you. The Order Dracul's here, and everyone has to submit for getting their fucking limbs put into grinders so they can experiment on them. You know, yeah. whatever the Order Dracul does. Yeah. Yeah, again, each co covenant has their own power structure and their own tricks and everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's power structure. In Atlantis 1, the vampire's there, it's an Invictus organization, and there's a weird offshoot of the Circle of the Crone that lives under the city that is its own thing and has its own power structure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's an Invictus city, it has a prince, it allows different vampires to be the senators, and they have what's called a senate, where the, the prince takes orders and stuff. 
<clears throat> yeah. Other than that, just a fairly normal vampire society city. Uh, vampires in general, though, they have things that make it easier to express that humanity part of the game. Like, they have touchstones, which yep. are the one person or thing that's the most important thing to you that ties you back to being alive. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they're, they're a thing that if you spend time with it, it makes it easier to, I think, gain humanity or gain willpower. Um, willpower. Well, yeah. Will Do power. we want to tell what our touchstones yeah. are? Yeah. Okay. So that's what I was going to get into with, uh, with the touchstone thing. So yeah. You guys tell the people what your characters as vampires' touchstones are. Uh, my touchstone, uh, as I talked about earlier, or that wasn't in this one, that was in the mortal one. So my character knew a guy that went missing named Sam Jacobs. Um, Just a him nice guy. and his daughter were both, um, they both went to the same church I went to. So when he went missing, I basically started um, like looking into his daughter, helping her out. Uh, when I got turned into a vampire, um, well, my dad, my character's dad, died when she was younger, everything like that. So, what this other girl is going through uh, really helps tie her back to her humanity, and like helping to take care of her and stuff also uh, helps that out. Uh, her name is Alice Jacobs, and she's seventeen. Okay. Hmm? All right, and we're back. So, Kaiser's touchstone is his father. They don't really have a nice relationship or anything like that. It's very, uh, not rivalrous, but they kind of take jabs at each other, and they're very good at keeping each other... On their toes? On their toes and at a level. And, yeah, he's his touchstone. He's very out of touch with him as a vampire, because he can't really tell his family about any of this. So it just comes off like he's being weird and evasive and only coming around at night and forgetting things. Mm-hmm. Well, for Fyodor, um, I think the first one I settled with would be the Grand Mason Lodge, actually. The whole building itself, because you'll be really attached to places as well. So Fyodor will be trying to protect the institution to keep the building you know, nice and you know, in pristine condition and there are good people there. Uh, my first draft of the touchstone was actually a bit more uh, accidental because the touchstone really had to be people that necessarily had contacts in as a human. It could be like um, the person you've heard the first, or you know. In my case, I was thinking, okay, how about a honest policeman that was on Fyodor's case when he accidentally murdered someone the first time he was feeding, and then you know he you know developed that sort of relationship with him after people bail out of the you know jail and you know the masons cover everything up so he still will be interacting with him on a regular basis you know talking with him and you know not necessarily revealing anything about himself just you know yeah all right right, what's next and what resources you need the you know uh, viewer questions. Okay, yeah. So some people were asking questions about what you got to kind of got to prep when you're running vampire, and the answer is not as much as you'd think. The best thing to have in mind when you're running vampire is uh, what NPCs exist in the city that the players will bounce <coughs> off of. Yeah. So like when you guys were building your characters, you all attached yourselves to an already built NPC I had sketched out, and we're like, "That's my sire." Yeah. So once that care, once you have the sire nailed down and the structure they're a part of. It's, Pretty easy from there. Oh. Yeah, generally you want to have the Vampiric Society somewhat sketched out with the players or after or before uh, if it could be the characters because the Vampiric Society can be really important to your characters. 
all, all the interactions and, and the power dynamics. Mm, I guess what else you have to keep in mind is like, hey, vampires need to feed on the regular, and that can be a part of the story in itself. Yeah, they all attract attention and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah, making sure the vampires have access to like areas to feed from, which isn't hard. Most vampires can find those areas fairly easy if they're not cleaned by other ones. Um, like generally, how we handle this is the first scene of each ch chapter recording. We let the players, you know, do something small like feeding, for example, mm -hmm. which you know a good rhythm to get to. You start the game with something, you get your the points you need, and yeah, you feeding have... and trying with a touchstone, that kind of thing. Yep, it's a good way to start off a session. Yeah. Um, I guess get everyone into their character's mind. <laughs> I guess yeah. Um, Generally, if you be uh, planning on a larger campaign, then you should start getting into uh, vampire politics, which is all about dividing the land. Like, oh, who owns this part of the city? Who owns that part of the city? Who feeds where? And yeah, that starts getting important because vampires are territorial, and if you're on someone else's territory, they can really power themselves up based on defending their own turf. Yeah, vampires fucking hate it. They're pack animals. Yep. Not pack animals. They, they, they do. Gangles okay, fighting packs and stuff. Well, then like they mark their territory and shit. Yeah, yeah. Generally, every vampire will be leaving sort of marks behind on their feeding grounds, and that's sort of known as the cacophony, where's that sort of um, subconscious language of the vampires that are, you know, left either in the city or the ways the vampires used to communicate without the mothers knowing really. Mm -hmm. Which also an interesting addition to the second edition. <coughs> uh, what else? What do we ask you about? Okay, so yeah, what was the next uh, kind of question we had lined up? A uh, question about uh, building some combat encounters around this plot. Building combat encounters is an odd question because that's not something you have to worry about for every RPG or every game. Yeah. Like, there's a combat engine and there's a robust power set built around it. Like, there's, like, a lot of the vampire powers really do help combat out yeah. and stuff, but it's not something you really got to worry that much about. Um, yeah, generally, keep in mind that vampires are a bit more resistant in combat because they're, yeah. they're undead, so... They're, they're much... They have a lot more defense and much more uh, meat to them. Yeah. Like, they only take bashing damage from most things. And then, you know, we have to... Uh, go over a couple times of their HP before they start losing anything. They can heal themselves rapidly, especially when they're fighting Immortal. They can just drink from them and heal themselves instantly from that. Yeah, they can do damage and heal at the same time. Plus, if they snap out the opponents with their Mark of the Beast, they can depower them and empower themselves. Vampires also have an innate ability to boost their physical attributes in a fight, so even if they don't have any of the disciplines <coughs> that lend themselves to that, they have an inborn talent for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, against people, vampires are pretty rough. Yeah, pretty much like mortals can really stand up to them. Yeah, and things like firearms and like clubs and stuff, like things that people will usually have on them or knives aren't going to do anything. Yeah, like vampires don't suffer at all from tilts, which is like, oh, my arm broke. Nope, I'm a vampire, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't hamper me at all. Uh, vampires will get into fights with other vampires if they, if they get into like really intense emotional arguments and stuff, so... Um, I don't really write up other NPCs as full character sheets. I just give them dice pools and a general idea of what disciplines they probably have. Yeah, just like... It's not important. Look up at the quick and dirty uh, characters probably from Princess of Darkness and... You know, Something like that. Pick whatever. But like, that's how we made the, the first 
enemy NPC that we're fighting the vampire, so it's good enough. Yeah. Just grab some quick stats and use it. So yeah, let's talk about your characters as vampires. We talked about it in the character piece a bit before, so uh, what are your characters like now that they're vampires? How did they get turned? My character uh, was on her morning run, which she does every day, so it's pretty easy to jump her at that point. Uh, see, my sire has servants. Who's your sire? I'm getting there. My <laughs> sire has servants uh, who are not alive. He makes these weird monsters, these weird zombies, basically. I uh, My sire's name is escaping me right now, actually. Dr. Marcellus Sangiovanni. Marcellus, yes. Uh, Dr. Marcellus Sangiovanni. He was brought down into the city because he's a scientist. Um, a medical scientist, and he was brought down to investigate this blood plague that's been going on, because vampires don't get hurt by sicknesses, but if they feed from someone with a sickness, then they can pass it to the next person they feed from, which is super dangerous for a disease like this. Mm -hmm. So he was brought down to investigate it, figuring out who has it, how to stop the spread of it, uh, how to tell if someone has it, something like that, uh, and he needed an assistant. Like, it was just unbelievable how much work the uh, prince was expecting to do. And my character is a doctor. Not a legal doctor, but she basically taught herself. Uh, so yeah, she was going for a run one day and he got her, his servants to basically jump her and take her where he is, and he turned her. Um, so that's how she was turned. Uh, how she's changed since she's become a vampire. Um, she still is religious, although it's kind of toned down from when she was mortal. Uh, and she's kind of more quiet about it because she doesn't actually know how vampires affect this. Like, if she's a vampire, does that mean she's going to hell? Like, does she have a soul anymore? Is my soul gone? What? How does that work? But she doesn't want to start asking these kinds of questions up to other vampires because it might be like rude, basically, and might. She might come off as stupid. Well, she really doesn't like coming off as stupid, so... <laughs> well, especially since, actually, we don't have Lancea and Sactum, so we don't have the spiritual aspects of the vampires. Exactly. So, all I know is that vampires exist, and yeah. she's trying to work out how that affects her faith, but then, you know, yeah. other shit was happening. So, and we didn't really focus on that. Um, Are you supposed to your cat's a bloodhound? Pardon? Your character's a bloodhound? Yes, uh, my character is very good at uh, sniffing out um, impurities in blood, basically, uh, which actually is really helpful for the blood plague uh, research that her sire is doing. Yep. Um, powers, she's good at seeing people's secrets, and she actually really likes secrets. Uh, she likes learning things about people that don't really want her to know. Uh, she's really good at hiding, and... Yeah, that's... That's basically the only way she's changed. Um, she's she still is insecure about her intelligence in Vampire, especially because her sire's not very jolly. Like, well, he doesn't he doesn't say like, "Oh, you did a good job" or anything like that. He's like, "This is what I want you to do," and he has that look on his face where he thinks that you've done something wrong. Come here, assistant. Yeah. Um, he's not a very affectionate person. So that's still part of her character, and the religion is not focused on, but still something she believes in and is trying to work out. Very good. Kevin? 
Alright, so Kaiser, since becoming a vampire, well, he was turned because <coughs> he was going out looking for a mark, he was a little low on cash, and uh, wound up pickpocketing the wrong person. This person being the prince's uh, second in command, whose name is. Rebecca Re- Smith? Rebecca Smith. Yes. And she was looking to take control of the uh, drug trade in Atlantis 1 and needed someone who was had a bit more expertise in that area. First-hand experience. First-hand well. experience, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she turned him, and he became a part of the Invictus. As a vampire, he kind of teeters on being a lot more brutal. He, he has a very short temper compared to when he was a human, and when he loses it, things get a lot more violent. He has more of an inferiority complex than he did before as a vampire, because... He's surrounded by all these people who have been around forever. And one thing you shouldn't do around Kaiser is make him feel stupid. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he goes through a lot of that. But he's also he's also enjoying himself, clearly. He's a lot more, less inhibited than he was before. Um, and yeah, he's really good at um, breaking into places. Really, he's an expert <coughs> in occults. A lot of which he learned from his grandmother, and he is an extremely good uh, person to bring along if you need to intimidate someone. What kind of um, powers do you have? Because like I went over my powers, but I didn't really say if they were. But like I have aspects, which is secrets. I have obfuscate, which lets me hide. He was all about uh, defense. He was able to harden up, harden himself up. He had a, like a single point in. Uh, yes, he had a single point in dominate, but never really used it, except for when he that did. One time. Oh. <laughs> because it seemed really unreliable. Yeah. Dominate. I actually used it a couple times. But yeah, anyways. Yeah. Uh, dominate. Done. What else did you do? Resilience. resilience. Oh, resilience. I forgot that that was a power. Yeah, that's that's where he kind of was an expert, is resilience, toughening himself up. <clears throat> How'd your relationship with your parents change when you were a vampire? Went way south. Um, he started avoiding them all the time because he had no way of. Oh yeah, you did kind of cover that previously, actually. We did talk about that. But... Yeah, he ha- he has no real way of explaining to them what happened. Mm. He's just really reclusive, being weird, forgetting about his cat. And, like... <laughs> and his cat hates him? No, she doesn't anymore. She loves him. She loves <laughs> his blood. Ghoul. Yes. Well, yeah, easy way for a cat to make a cat love you, feed it. <laughs> and a lot of his time as a vampire is being spent kind of observing things and learning more about vampire... Because he's super young right now as a vampire. So as a vampire and a person. So he's kind of biding his time to see if, how much he can learn before he can start making bigger moves. Hmm. Taking it slow, because now he has all the time in the world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's perfect then. So now we're back. Uh, so, Fyodor. Um, well, he was embraced because uh, he was getting into politics generally through his Mason connections and all that. Being in this one for a while. And yeah, he was embraced by. Uh... Oh, oh wait, no, sorry. Yes. Continue. I thought that he didn't talk about Cyber, but he did. He did. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he got embraced by uh, Alexei Romanov, the last heir of the Romanov dynasty, and yeah, now he has large boots to fill, because his sire is a member of a vampiric dynasty, the Third Section dynasty, that's based on. The third section of his Imperial Majesty's own Chancellery, which is a secret police from the Imperial Russia. And yeah, 
Um, what else? Uh, yeah, he's signed the spymaster of Atlantis One. He's uh, a maquette. Um, what are his powers? So yeah, he's got uh, Osprey and Obfuscate, so it's just like Leo. Oh yeah, I forgot we had the exact same powers, and we're both maquette. Yeah. Jesus Lord. Oh yeah, um, we're both maquette. Yeah. And um, Kaiser Ventru. is Ventrue. Um, so yeah, um, generally Fyodor focuses on more of the social aspects of things. He quickly established himself on feeding grounds around his uh, Grand Lodge of the Masons. He's into the city saddles, the clan saddles, and um, yeah, he's the character in the group that can read the cacophony, which is those secrets called the vampires. And yeah. What else? What else? Um, you have a cult. Oh, yeah, now knows that you're vampires. a vampire. Oh. <laughs> so oh. now, mastery violation. Well, yeah. Clairvoyant uh, mortals. How can you like not have them figure things out? Yeah. So uh, now the now the Masons know the vampires exist and all are trying to vie for being embraced. Oh. Trying to like you know suck up to him to get eternal life. <laughs> well, <clears throat> that's a good thing to aspire to. <laughs> And yeah, that's right. Alright, well, that I think is the bulk of information about Vampire the Requiem for our game. And after this is the normal sessions. So I think we'll wrap there. I was Devin. Nicole. Kevin. And Peter. And this is sponsored by Nobody, signing off.